So here, actually, the Lord is referring to the Passover feast. Passover was mentioned in Exodus chapter 12 from verse 1 to verse 14. The Passover was considered the greatest of the Jewish feasts because they remember how the Lord delivered them from the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. And the Passover lamb is a type or a symbol of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. And as he were delivered from the land of slavery to the promised land through the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were delivered from the land of slavery into the promised land because we were enslaved by Satan. But now we are members in the kingdom of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ informed his disciples of his sufferings, which were soon to take place at Jerusalem. Why he told them, why he foretold them, lest they might be discouraged when they saw their master condemned to die on the cross. Also, to know that these things happened according to his will. It is by his own will and by his own authority, actually, he was uh, delivered to the hands of the Jews and the Gentiles to be crucified. Verse 3. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Kephas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. This actually considered the second council of the Jews against the Lord Jesus Christ. This council was held on Wednesday, two days before the Passover. And because they met on Wednesday and made this agreement with Judas on Wednesday, that's why the Christian tradition uh, keeps the day of Wednesday to be a fasting day. And also, uh, we keep Friday to be a fasting day because on Wednesday, Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jews ordered his death, and on Friday, the Lord Jesus Christ suffered death for our redemption. Usually, general assemblies are held in public places, at the gates of the city, or in the courts of the nobles. Here, actually, we can see how they assembled at the palace of the high priest. According to the Jewish accounts, the Sanhedrin is composed of 72 members. The high priest is considered the president. The heads of the 24 courses of the priests are also members. 
and the rest are distinguished representatives of the scribes and elders of the people, the heads of the great families, all of these constituted the membership. Verse 5, they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they made a decision to kill the Lord Jesus Christ, but they decided not on the feast. This decision was not through a motive of religion, no, but because they feared an uproar would happen, because they knew how many, many people favored the Lord Jesus Christ and perceived him as a great prophet. Unfortunately, these people were fearful not of offending God, not of increasing the horror of their crime by committing such sin on a feast day. But this decision was made because they were fearful of people, fearful of offending men, and this will cause an uproar. So, although they decided not to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ and not to kill him on a feast day, but this was overruled, changed later on, because Jesus was actually crucified on the day of, uh, day of Passover. What made this decision change it? When Judas informed them how he could and how he would put him into their hands on Thursday night without causing any uproar and comforted them, that's why they changed their mind and, try, and actually crucified him on the feast day. Verse 6, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Simon was probably a man that was healed from leprosy by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not likely that he had been a leper at that time, because according to the Jewish tradition, lepers could not keep company with healthy people and had to remain isolated from the population. So, if Simon was still a leper, the Lord would not visit him or he cannot hold a supper. But most probably he was healed and he held that supper for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman most probably was Mary, the sister of Lazarus and uh, Martha, as we read in John chapter 12, verse 3. 
pouring ointment upon the head of Christ was actually a symbol of his priesthood. Because usually they anointed the priest by pouring oil on his head. But of course Mary is not uh, ordaining or uh, appointing the Lord Jesus Christ as high priest. But it's just a symbol. But why she did this? It was a token of high respect and a token of love. The value of the ointment is roughly estimated as 300 denarii, as we read in John chapter 12, verse 5. 300 denarii is around $16,000, just to, to know how costly this oil was. The commentators of the scripture and the early church father disagreed on the day on which this happened and also whether this was Mary or another woman. Why? In John chapter 12, we read six days before the Passover. But here we read it is just two days before the Passover. So if John was accurate about six days and Matthew is accurate about two days, this means this pouring of oil happened twice. On Saturday, also on Wednesday. And this means these are two different women, not the same woman. But St. Augustine said, this pouring of ointment on the Lord's head is not recorded by St. Matthew in the due order of time. So it was done on Saturday, six days before the Passover. But Matthew intended to mention on Wednesday, not on Saturday. Why? Because St. Matthew wants to make a comparison between Mary and between Judas. Mary poured very costly ointment that cost $16,000 on the head of our Lord Jesus Christ. While Judas, on the same day, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver, which actually was the price of a slave. So St. Matthew goes back to an event that happened at Bethany on Saturday, before the Lord entered Jerusalem on Hosanna Sunday, because he wants to compare the love of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, with the betrayal of Judas, who sold the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. But this anointing is definitely different from the anointing that done in the house of Simeon the Pharisee 
in Galilee that's mentioned in Luke chapter 7 and usually we read this gospel in the second watch of the midnight hour. After she poured this very costly ointment, we read in verse 8, but when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, angry, saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. According to St. John, it was mainly Judas, not all the disciples. Judas is the one who said, uh, sorry, St. John said it was Judas who said, why is this waste? So here when St. Matthew said the disciples, he is using the plural for the singular. The plural here is put for the singular. And this mode of speaking was coming common among the Jews. But, however, it is possible that Judas, he made the objection, started the objection, and this was followed in sentiment by some or the rest of the disciples. John said, St. John in his Gospel said that the main reason behind these words was the greediness, love of money of Judas. But he pretended that he had zeal for the poor. But the real motive was not the zeal for the poor, but was his love for money. And strange enough, while he said, why is this waste? Judas wasted his eternal life, which actually is more precious than the ointment of fragrant oil. But if we compare between Judas and Mary, we can find in the heart of Mary this true love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when there is true love in the heart to the Lord, nothing will be thought too good to bestow upon him. Everything will be considered cheap. Even St. Paul in book of Acts chapter 20, he said, my soul is not precious for me. Even his soul, is con- he considered, is not precious for him for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. Here the Lord Jesus Christ spoke on her behalf. Actually, Mary showed love here. And the Lord did not want this love to be wounded. 
but rather he want actually to water this love, to nurture this love, that actually it may produce greater fruit in the future. That's why he defended her. St. John Chrysostom said, When therefore we behold any good action done, though some imperfection may creep in with it, we may say, but yes, $16,000 is too much. So St. John is saying, when you see something good is done, although you may see some imperfection in it, still we ought to behold it with kindness and assist it to bring forth more perfect acts for the time to come. So he told us, focus on what's positive, focus on what's good, appreciate it, perceive it with kindness, assist it to bring forth more perfect acts for the future. Uh, here the Lord showed sympathy with the love of, Saint, uh, of Mary, the sister of Lazarus. He recognized her love as noble and as excellent in itself. Yes, the Lord cares for the poor. In Matthew 25, we read that the, the poor is his representative. And he said, whatever you do for them, you did it with me. When he said, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. So the Lord, yes, he considered the poor and encouraged us to help the poor. And he said, whatever you do to the poor and the needy, you did it with me. But we should not actually stop any person from spending money on the church or uh, doing something to honor the Lord or his servants. We should not actually everything we say, no, this should go to the poor, this should go to the poor, this should go to the poor. This mindset that many people have acquired is wrong. And here the Lord Jesus Christ actually blamed clearly and rebuked clearly the disciples. And he told them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. And when he said, I am not with you always, this does not contradict what the Lord said, Behold, I am with you all days, even to the end of the world, in Matthew 28. Because when he said to the disciples in Matthew 26, I am not always with you, he, here he speaks of his physical and bodily presence. But when he said in Matthew 28, I am with you always, he is speaking about his spiritual presence and constant assistance to us. Then the Lord added, as we read in verse 12, 
for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body she did it for my burial it was customary to anoint the dead and lay the body in spices but because actually they couldn't they were in hurry on Friday to bury the Lord before Saturday and Saturday the great Sabbath nobody can do any activity and that's why they did not actually put ointment on the Lord's body and this is the reason why on Sunday morning after the great Sabbath was over the women took spices and ointment to go and anoint the Lord's body but here the Lord said Mary in a prophetic way did it in advance and here just I want to mention something in the rites of the church Uh, when we do the spices of the icon of burial on Good Friday we don't add to it any ointment any oil any perfume unfortunately some churches are not aware of this and they add a lot of perfume and add a lot of ointment but as we know they could not put any ointment or oil on the Lord's body or perfume that's why the the women went on Sunday morning so on Good Friday when we do the burial we add just spices to the icon with incense we add just spices and incense but we don't add any perfumes or any ointment because on Friday they could not do this because they were in hurry before the beginning of the great Sabbath so the Jews used to anoint the dead and lay the body in spices to show their constant respect to the deceased person and also to show their belief of the resurrection and here the Lord Jesus Christ said this was really a preparation for my burial and as I told you as if Mary did this in a prophetic way because in reality she could not do it on Friday Mary may have not understood or understand clearly that he was the Lord Jesus Christ was then about to die when she heard these words when the Lord said she did this for my burial I don't think that Mary understood that he would die after two days but she had done it as an act of kindness act of love to show her regard for the Lord especially after he raised Lazarus from the death this act of faith and love was so remarkable 
that it would be reported as a memorial of Mary's faith and love to all future ages in all places where the gospel should be preached. That's what the Lord said. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And this prophecy is fulfilled. Until now, we read about what Mary did and how she poured uh, the oil or the fragrant oil on the Lord's body. And when we pray funeral for uh, women, actually the gospel of the funeral is this part, the pouring of the fragrant oil. As if we are saying, as Mary poured the fragrant oil and the house was filled with the fragrant oil, so this deceased lady, she poured her life as fragrant oil on the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody in the family of God can smell the fragrance of her life that she poured it as an oil on the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. After Matthew mentioned the pouring of the oil that was happened on Saturday, but he mentioned among the events of Wednesday, he came to an event that happened on Wednesday. And he compared between these two events. So here we can see how Matthew compared Judas' greed with the generosity of Mary, the sister of Lazarus. He went to the chief priests and he dialogued with them. If you want me to deliver Jesus to you, actually, what you are going to give me, and I will deliver him to your hands. The first plan that the Lord will be crucified or killed after the feast. But when Judas went on Wednesday and assured them that he can deliver him during the feast time without uproar, actually they changed the plan. The beginning of the plan to kill the Lord Jesus Christ started after the resurrection of Lazarus. Because so many people start to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow him. And as we read in John chapter 11 verse 47, from that time they start seriously to seek how to kill him. This plan was known even to Judas. That's why for Judas it is opportunity for him to make money. 
and they give him 30 pieces of silver. This actually, the reward was very low. It is the market price of a slave, as we read in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. So, the chief priests here, seeing the greed of Judas, so in order to mock Judas and also to mock his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, they estimated the reward to be the price or the market price of a common slave. And here, actually, we can see how the love of money moved Judas to betray his master. Uh, Judas is considered as the most infamous of men. His conduct is considered beyond description. The weakness of his conduct and his motives were evil and wicked. Uh, but unfortunately, until now, many people are walking in the same way. How many of us, for the sake of worldly wealth, have renounced our faith and sought the Lord Jesus Christ sold our interest in heaven for short-lived period of secular good just to gain some goodness here on earth. Indeed, of all the passions, the love of money is the most evil passion. Love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, Verse 16, verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? As I explained, the Jews began their feasts or festivals from sunset of the evening before. So, the first day of the unleavened bread is Thursday. So, we are here speaking about uh, Thursday. The Lord Jesus Christ ate the Passover after sunset. And when the Passover meal was over, he consecrated the Blessed Eucharist, or the Mystical Supper. St. Mark and St. Luke, because they were writing to the Gentiles, explained what the Passover means. They said the Passover was, lamb was to be slain. But Matthew, because he is speaking to Jewish people, he didn't add any explanation. The Passover lamb was to, be, was to be slain and eaten in Jerusalem. 
and therefore special preparation were needed. The word baska means passing by or passing over. Because on that night when they killed the Passover lamb, two things happened. The children of Israel passed from the land of uh, slavery, land of Egypt, and started their journey to the promised land. Also, the angel who on that night killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians, seeing the doors of the Israelites stained with blood of the Passover lamb, this angel passed by all their houses untouched, the houses of the Israelites untouched. So two passing happened at that night. The children of Israel passed from Egypt to the promised land, and the angel of death passed by the houses of the Israelites when he saw the blood. And also, the word Passover is a figure of our Savior Lord Jesus Christ passing out of life when he died on the cross. And by his death on the cross, we also, as he was slain on, on that day, we also passed from death to life, from darkness to light. In the Old Testament, the Passover day and the week-long celebration of the unleavened bread were listed as two separate feasts. The Passover day feast and then eight days, sorry, seven days of the unleavened bread. So the total will be eight days. But in the Lord's time, in Jesus' time, the names of the two feasts were used interchangeably to refer to the entire eight holy days. So in the Lord's day, they did not separate the eight days into two feasts, the Passover feast one day and then the seven days of the unleavened bread. But they combined both and they called both Passover week or unleavened bread week. Because during this week they don't eat any leavened bread. Because leaven symbolizes of sin. That's why they don't eat any leavened bread. But when they left Egypt, they left in haste. That's why they took the bread before it was leavened. Because they were rushed to leave Egypt. Uh, so now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with 
my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Uh, we know that this man from the tradition is St. Mark. And the place was the upper room of St. Mark. That's where the Lord ate the Passover and instituted the Eucharist. So, this person, St. Mark, with whom the Lord Jesus Christ was well acquainted, he also was known to the disciples. And the disciples are directed to determine the place in the city by a certain sign, as we read it in Mark chapter 14, verse 13. Uh, in Mark 14 and verse 13, we read, And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. So he gives them a clear sign who the man is, so they would not be confused. He will be carrying a pitcher of water. Uh, So the disciples, they, they prepared the Passover and they made it ready in the guest chamber. And here just I like to explain something. Uh, you know, you find usually uh, when there is a bishop praying a liturgy, he does not attend the meetings but he comes after the meetings is over. And maybe some of you don't understand why. Maybe you, under, you, you explained it that he just uh, needs more rest, that's why he comes late to the church. But no, there is actually a, a symbolic meaning here. Uh, the priests who are assisting the bishop in the prayer represented the disciples. And in Orthodox theology, the bishop is considered the icon of Christ. So, as the Lord asked the disciples to go and prepare for the Passover meal, so the priests go and prepare the altar and do the maiden's prayer for the Passover, for the Eucharist, for the liturgy. And as the Lord came after the preparation was done, so the bishop comes after the preparation is done. That is the meaning behind it. It's not we give the bishop more time or comes late or execution to come late. I'm explaining this because some people, they, uh, if they don't understand this, they give themselves like excuse to come late. And they say, Sayyidna comes late, so we can come late also. But I'm trying to explain, it is not just he comes late, but that is an explanation. As the Lord asked the disciples to go and prepare before he comes, 
That's why the priest who assists the bishop prepare before the bishop arrives, who symbolizes the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, so when evening had come, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, sat down with the twelve. The circumstances were explained in in Luke chapter 22, verse 8. If we read Luke 22, verse 8. So he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? So he told them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, following him, follow him into the house which he enters. Etc. So here Mark explained in more detail, even he mentioned who are the disciples, and he mentioned that the disciples were Peter and John. He told them, Say to this man, son Mark, my time is at hand. Which time? The time uh, of crucifixion. My time is at hand. Is the time of crucifixion. Uh, if we go back to St. Matthew, And when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. The lamb was killed between the two evenings, as we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 6. The two evenings, what are the two evenings? One evening starts from 3 p.m., which is the ninth hour, and ends at the sunset. That's the first evening when the sun is about to disappear. So this evening starts at 3 p.m. and ends by sunset. But after the sun, actually after sunset, there will be some light. Darkness does not be uh, full immediately. That is the beginning of the second evening. So the second evening starts with sunset with until the first watch of night, which will be 9 p.m. So the first evening from 3 p.m. to the sunset, second evening from sunset to uh, 9 p.m. The Passover has to be killed and eaten between the two evenings which means between 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. In the rituals of Covenant Thursday, we read that the liturgy should end before 3 p.m. 
And if the liturgy did not end before 3 p.m., then actually they should be silent and don't take communion from 3 until sunset. And then they take communion. What is the reason behind this? In order not to participate with the Passover of the Jews. That's why the liturgy should end and communion should end at 3 p.m. And if it did not end at 3 p.m., we cannot take communion between 3 and until sunset. So the church should be silent until sunset, and then they can uh, take communion on that day. Uh, so they used to kill the Passover after 3, and the Passover supper was commonly eaten after sunset, and often in the night. So they take from 3 p.m. until sunset to kill the Passover and prepare it, and they eat it after that. Some people say that the Lord did not eat the Passover lamb. Why? Because we read here, and uh, when evening had come, he sat down. And as you know from the book of Exodus, they should eat the Passover lamb while they were standing. So some people said, because Matthew said they sat down, then he did not eat the Passover lamb with them. But this is not acceptable. Because if the Lord did not eat the Passover lamb, he would be considered uh, as one who broke the law. That's why we understand it this way. They stood while they ate the Passover lamb. And after they ate the Passover lamb, uh, they start to be seated on couches uh, as this was the custom. Uh, otherwise, the Lord Jesus Christ would be considered as transgress the law. So, he first, St. John Chrysostom said, he first ate the Passover lamb according to the right of Moses, standing. After that, he sat down to supper. These are the words of St. John Chrysostom. Uh, verse 21 now as they were eating he the Lord Jesus Christ said assuredly I say to you one of you will betray me and they were exceedingly sorrowful and each of them began to say to him Lord is it I Judas Iscariot already betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and made deal with the chief priests. Now he is about to deliver him into the hands of the chief priests according to the agreement. So the Lord told them, one of you would betray me. We read here that all of them were exceed, exceedingly sorrowful. We read in the Gospel of St. John, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 22, 
Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Why they were sorrowful? Number one, they were sorrowful that the Lord Jesus Christ would be betrayed into the hand of his enemies. Number two, they were sorrowful because this vile, this action would be done by one of them. And they did not know who was that person. They could not imagine that one of them would be guilty of such terrible sin. And here one may wonder how Judas showed or expressed sorrow. Everybody was express, uh, showing sorrow. Judas had delivered himself up into the hands of the devil. And therefore he was capable of delivering up his master into the hands of the chief priests. And when people are completely hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, they can outwardly perform the most serious act of devotion without feeling any sort of inward concern about the matter. Hypocrisy. So from outside, Judas appeared very sorrowful, but from inside, his heart was completely dead. Every, every disciple asked, is it I? And I like this. Nobody accused the other or implied another. But everybody was asking, is it I? Without any implication toward his neighbor or toward another disciple. Uh, and here we ask ourselves, did Judas not know that Christ knew the secret of his soul or the love of money blinded him completely. Then the Lord answered and told them, He who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. When the Lord actually said, the one who dips his hand with me would betray me, actually he was not referring or pointing out Judas. Actually, the Lord was referring to a prophecy written in the book of Psalms. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And so the Lord here was not speaking to point out Judas. No, but he wants to magnify the extent and wickedness of the crime, 
that's a person who is eating with him actually is the person who lifted up his heel against the Lord is the one who betrayed him so as if the, when they asked him is it I the Lord telling him unfortunately he who eats with me is the one who will deliver me and we know from John chapter 13 verse 23 to 26 that these words is spoken to the disciple that leaned on the Savior, St. John, on the Savior's chest. But these words were unheard by Judas and the rest. Uh, the Lord actually here made a very direct reference to his death when he said the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. This is the first direct reference to his passion and death. Many people ask why Judas will be condemned. Judas was a tool in our salvation. Why would he be condemned? But the answer, the Lord answered this question when, when he said, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. So the Lord saying, whether, whether Judas betrays me or would not betray me, I'm going to die. I'm going for my passions. So we cannot justify or find excuse to Judas that he is a tool in our salvation. Then the Lord said, Woe to that man, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. This was a declaration of the awful judgment that would befall Judas. And the Lord said it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. This actually, this proverb uh, was common among the Jews and was frequently used by the Jews. So, in relation to Judas, we can say four points here. Number one, the crime which he was about to commit was exceedingly great. Number two, the misery or punishment due to it would certainly come upon him. Number three, he would certainly deserve that misery or it would not have been threatened or inflicted. Number four, this punishment is eternal. So his crime is great. The punishment will certainly come upon him. He deserves this punishment and this punishment is eternal. Verse 25, then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. Although Judas knew in his conscience that he had already betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he is waiting for the servants of the chief priests that he might deliver the Lord into their hands, he said, Rabbi, is it I? And it is worthy of remark 
that the disciples said, Lord, is it I? But Judas did not say, Lord, he said, Rabbi. Rabbi is, is just a lower title than Lord. And this because uh, of his daring, he lost respect to the Lord Jesus Christ. lost fear of God in his heart. According to the Gospel of St. John, the Lord said to him, what you do, do quickly. He then went out immediately and it was night. Based on this, many church fathers said, Judas left before the mystical supper was instituted. But just for the record, other church fathers said, no, he waited for the Lord's, uh, for the mystical supper, for the Eucharist, and after this he left. But many church fathers said he left before the Eucharist. St. John Chrysostom remarks the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how with great meekness, he answered Judas and he accepted from Judas the extreme of ingratitude, injustice, blasphemy. St. John Chrysostom said, in the same way, we ought to bear with malice of others and forget all personal injuries. We need to forget our personal injuries and bear the malice of others. Verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, as they became close to the end of the meal of the Passover supper, the Lord now proceeds to the institution of the Blessed Eucharist. Eucharist means thanksgiving. The Lord did not institute this sacrament in the beginning of his ministry. But he prepared the mind of the disciples to believe, to believe in this mystery. How he prepared their mind? By changing the water into wine at the wedding, by uh, multiplying the loaves in the miracle of feeding the multitude. So now actually, the Lord, after he prepared the mind of the disciples, on that night, he took bread, then he blessed it. Blessed it means he gave thanks to God, then he uh, blessed the bread, and he broke it. Why he broke it? Breaking the bread represents the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say his body was broken or wounded for our sins. And I want you to notice, the Lord did not say, this is the figure of my body. He said, this is my body. 
He did not say, in this you will find my body, or with this you will find my body. But he said clearly, this is my body, which plainly implies that this bread changed into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we don't see it in a sensible manner. It is under the, yeah, we see bread and wine, but the change is real. By this word, this is my body, and by his divine power, Christ changed that was bread into his own body and that was blood into his own blood but not in a visible way so the element of bread and wine were truly and really changed into the body and the blood of our lord jesus christ of course we cannot question how this is done because we cannot question the divine power of our Lord Jesus Christ and we can see these words were repeated by Saint Matthew, Saint Mark, Saint Luke and also was repeated by Saint Paul in 1st Corinthians chapter 11 the Holy Eucharist is not only a sacrament but it is a sacrifice it succeeded all the sacrifices of the Old Testament because all the sacrifices of the Old Testament were referring to this one sacrifice and the Lord Jesus Christ asked us to do it do this in remembrance of me to celebrate the Eucharist until his second coming his word which will be shed for you in Greek language, literally means being poured out. Pouring out is part of the sin sacrifice in the Old Testament. After they killed the, the, the sacrifice, they took the blood and they poured the blood. As you read it in Leviticus chapter 4. Uh, we can see how in the Old Testament pouring of blood can take several forms either they splash it against the altar of burning offering or they sprinkle it on the veil of the Holy of the Holies or they smear it on the horn of the altar of incense uh, so these are different ways how they poured, poured oil, uh, the blood in the Old Testament. Uh, so the Lord's action here not only fulfilled his promise when he spoke in John chapter 6 about I am the bread of life and those who eat his flesh and drink his blood will have eternal life and his body is food indeed and his blood is drink indeed but also actually he was doing a liturgical ceremony a liturgical ceremony 
his ritual words that he said in that night are exactly the word of the covenant of the old covenant that the high priests in the Old Testament used to say. And the blood ritual about the blood was splashed or poured out, the Lord said, my blood will be shed. So we can say the Eucharist is a liturgical ceremony in which a new covenant is being made and a sin sacrifice is being offered. So the old covenant is ended now and a new covenant is started. Literally, offering himself in what the Lord has announced is a new covenant, is a new covenant. So now the Lord Jesus Christ is establishing a new covenant in the upper room. Uh, And this was the beginning of his journey to the cross on which he offered himself as a sacrifice and fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. And just as the Lord announced, this is my blood of the new covenant, Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus 24, he sprinkled the blood and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. St. Luke and St. Paul mentioned new covenant, the word new covenant, not only blood of covenant, new covenant, in offering the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this new covenant is shed, why? For the forgiveness of sins. Because without blood, there is no forgiveness. So the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed for our sins to be forgiven. So this indeed is a sin sacrifice, as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 12. Uh, His promise to us that through this flesh and through this blood, we will be united spiritually to his life and we will receive eternal life, as we read in John chapter 6. The disciples who were present, they understood in some way that this sacred meal had been transformed forever into something much and more profound than eating flesh of sacrificial animal. Since sacrifice in the Old Testament, they just ate flesh of sacrificial animal. But now, It is not just eating a flesh, but it is a a mystery in which we are united to the body of Christ and we have the promise of eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, Verse 29, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day 
when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now, the Lord finished the Eucharist, and after this, he started to speak about the future reunion with us in the marriage of in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We read in the book of Revelation about the supper of the wedding of the Lamb. So that's the Lord what he is referring when he told us, I will not drink from it again until I will drink it new in my father's kingdom. When the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, he is pointing to a permanent institution to be observed until the second coming of the Lord. That's why we do the divine liturgy every day. When he said, I will drink it new, now this new wine is wine of a widely different nature from the wine here on earth. It is a wine that the kingdom of God, kingdom of the Father, can only afford. When the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, this commandment, is binding on all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some churches say, no, we don't have to keep the Lord's Eucharist, some other denomination. But disobedience to this commandment is sin. For the unbelief that keeps men away is one of the worst of sins. And we can see in the book of Acts how the apostles kept the Lord's Supper, the mystical supper. And actually the fact that the Lord appeared to Paul and he gave him clear direction how the Lord's Supper is done, as we read in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, makes it very clear that the Lord intended for us to continually do the divine liturgy. Do this in remembrance of me. The word remembrance means reliving the same act. Reliving the same act. Verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It was the custom to conclude the Passover by singing psalms from 115 to uh, 118. So they used to sing these songs. That's why after they finished the Eucharist, they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's why during communion, we sing praise God. Praise God in all his sins, Psalm 50. Unfortunately, many people during the time of communion and instead of participating in singing, they start to chat with one another. That is time to praise God. Praise God in all his sins. Praise God for his mighty works. Praise God with psaltery and harm. It's time to praise God. So let us actually pay attention to this time and all of us participate in praising God. Other observation, unfortunately, some churches, they replaced the communal hymns with some songs 
sometimes Protestant songs that has nothing to do with praising God, that has nothing to do with communion. And here, my advice, actually, not to replace the communion hymns that were written in order to praise God with any other song. It is not time just to have a choir and chant songs. It's time to praise God. It is time for all of us to praise the Lord. Verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Here the Christ, the, the rest of the Lord Jesus Christ, will make the disciples run away and forsake him. Uh, and this will be like a test of faith for them. Of course, it's also a test of their expectation. How they expect their Lord, their Master, would be betrayed and delivered into the hands of the Gentiles to be crucified. So it was difficult for them to comprehend how the Son of God, who has come to restore and redeem his people, will allow himself to be taken by people to be crucified and to be killed. And the Lord here quote from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, when he said to them, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So in this prophecy, Jesus Christ is our shepherd who will be struck down and the sheep, the apostles, will be scattered at the time of his arrest. But the Lord gives them hope and encouragement. He told them, verse 32, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So this promise was given to encourage them, to support them, and to tell him, to tell them where they can find him after his resurrection. He said, he said this for their comfort, that though he, their shepherd, should be arrested, condemned, and crucified, should be smitten with death and be laid in grave, but he will rise again. Now they are scattered abroad, but after his resurrection, he w- they will be gathered again together with him, and he would be their head, and he will lead them, appear to them, he will lead them as a shepherd goes before his flock. He told to them, I will see you in Galilee, because Galilee was a native place of most of the disciples, if not all of them. St. Peter, as usual, verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, that this night before the rooster crows, 
you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. St. Peter bravely proclaims that unlike the others, his faith will never change in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is willing to die for him. Uh, but the Lord Jesus Christ told him, no, you will deny me three times. So, actually, after the Lord Jesus Christ assured them that the prophecy of Zechariah will be fulfilled, and as a shepherd, after he will be struck down, all the sheep will be uh, dispersed, but Peter couldn't accept it. But the Lord, again, assured Peter of his weakness. But Peter, again, uh, affirmed to the Lord that he will not deny him. And he led all the disciples to say the same words. St. John Chrysostom said something nice here. He said, let us believe him in every, believe him Christ. Let us believe him in every possibly, in every possible circumstance. Though it may appear to our senses and understanding contradictory. So as if he's saying, Peter, even if it seems to you contradictory that you will deny him, but believe him. If the Lord told you, you will deny him, believe him. For the word of God can never be made void. But our senses may easily be deceived. When therefore he says, this is my body, let us without any, the least hesitation, immediately believe and contemplate the mystery with the eyes of our understanding. So, this was warning to Peter, but Peter actually did not listen to the, war, to the warning, but he trusted his own strength. He trusted his own strength without depending on God. So he did not take the warning which the Lord gave him. He trusted in his warm, sincere attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ that now he feels. And all the disciples said the same thing, but unfortunately all of them fled at the approach of danger, forsaking their master and practically denying that they knew him. Yes, Peter denied him with words, but the rest of the disciples, by running away, they denied him in practice. So, yes, Peter and the disciples were sincere in their love, but they did not know or realize their own weaknesses, and this weakness will lead them to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Pope Shenouda used to say, the sin of Peter is a sin of weakness, but the sin of Judas is a sin of betrayal. This concludes verse 35, which is half of the chapter. I know it is long, but yani, we had to finish half of it today. Uh, God willing, next week we'll finish the rest of it. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.